and welcome to episode 20 of the Talent Crush Chat Show, the show where we talk about the art and culture that we adore and sometimes talk to the people who make it. My name is Stevie Jackson. I'm an actor, writer, producer in Vancouver, BC. And my name is Christopher Royce. I am an internet person and writer person, and I have a dog, and I live in the San Francisco Bay Area. <laughs> cool. <laughs> Do you want to tell the people what your dog's name is? Uh, my dog, who has his own Twitter account, is Lucas Tiberius. <laughs> <laughs> and how is Lucas Tiberius today? He's fine. He is uh, being used right now as a prop to make me not feel as bad about having less credits than you, because I am not uh, as many good things as you are. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes uh, Lucas participates in our recording sessions a little bit. hes I don't think he's ever made it on mic. He does but... delay them with some frequency. <laughs> Sometimes he's the reason that we're delayed, yeah. <laughs> but he's a sweetie. Right now I'm pretty sure he's asleep. Good. That's a good spot for him as we record. Mm -hmm. He has very um, little to add to these conversations. He doesn't hardly watch any TV, and the books he reads are so arcane. That's so sad for him. <laughs> we've we've got to fix that. <laughs> uh, so what are you up to? into what's going on with you this month oh let's talk about the things um i have as per usual a whole bunch of stuff that i want to talk about and as per usual we will get to probably very little of it like two of them maybe um <laughs> uh there is a comic book series that i've been hearing about for years and years and hopefully some of you will recognize the name it's called saga and not familiar it is sort of words it has sort of become like one of these titles that anybody who's into comics really raves about and won't shut up about and i am not a person who's been really into comics my whole life i have been sort of a dabbler i guess is probably the best way to describe um <laughs> but i finally heard uh somebody describe it in a way that was incredibly compelling and so I picked it up and was really just indeed blown away by it. And part of the reason I had not picked it up beforehand is that I didn't want to get another obsession because I always have tons of stuff that I'm into and tons of stuff I'm mm -hmm. trying to create. And now I have spent a lot of time reading that I couldn't necessarily afford from my calendar. Mm -hmm. But it's amazing. Um, it is currently across the room, so I should have kept it nearer to hand so I could describe who wrote it so i'm going to do some quick typing while i talk but it is oh um, okay set in sort of like a fictional <laughs> universe um here we go i googled the author is brian k vaughn and the artist is fiona staples and the main characters are without giving anything away they are um it's a fictional universe where there aren't humans everybody is a different strange and interesting species and a lot <laughs> of them are sort of based on non-human creatures here on earth so they have antlers or they have wings or they have the head of a shark or something okay. crazy like that and it's really fascinating to look at but the basic plot structure is sort of a romeo and juliet in space kind of thing these two i was just gonna lovers. ask what the premise of mm -hmm. it was yeah. i was getting to it in a sideways fashion uh <laughs> is my habit <laughs> And so the star-crossed lovers, you know, is Montagues and Capulets sort of thing, trying to kill each other. And these two find each other and don't want to kill people anymore. And so they're just trying to survive. And so that's kind of how it starts. And without getting into any of the nitty-gritty details, because there's tons of amazing spoilery stuff, but it's narrated by their infant daughter, which is already a great premise. 
Oh. And you sort of follow them. I'm 38, I think, issues into the 54 issue Compendium 1, which uh, it's a planned wow. series. It's not just ongoing. So this is the first half. Yeah, that that is a saga, though. Uh-huh. Wow. <laughs> Very much so. But it is just, like, tremendously great storytelling. It's got, you know, action and romance and comedy and... and the dialogue is very contemporary. Like literally one of the characters claps her hands over her ears and says, no spoilers at a particular moment, which I just found like, it's the kind of thing that should take you out of a moment, but really mm-hmm. just deepened my affection for the characters. Um, some of the characters are robots uh, and the series, I just mentioned that to say the series is not for the faint of heart. It is definitely PG-13, if not R rated, because you do see a robot give birth. Wow. So stuff happens. I would not expect that to be necessary. Uh-huh. There's For robots. There's all sorts of biology and warfare and politics and literature and culture. It's an incredible, incredible series that I really can't recommend enough. It's the kind of thing that puts a lie to the old idea of like dismissing comics because comics are for kids. Hmm. I, I, one thing I've definitely learned in adulthood is that comics are not necessarily for children at all. Yeah. I mean, some of them are, there are definitely kids comics, of course. but that as a rule, that is not true. Yeah. Yeah, That's uh, not, not a great place to start if you were thinking about comics. (laughs) (laughs) Unless you get into them as a kid. Sure. And then grow up with them. Absolutely. I was just thinking Um, of like, if you're an adult who's never tried comic books. Yeah. I wouldn't start with the, with the kids Mm -hmm. comics at that point. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know how many people get into it for the first time in adulthood. I, my guess, and I might be entirely wrong and the internet can feel free to correct me. Um, (laughs) is that that might happen a little more often for women because definitely when I was growing up, comics were seen as something that were for boys for the most part. Like they just weren't, they weren't a girl thing. They weren't for us. Um, So I don't think I ever read a comic book other than the occasional Archie comic book that my dad (laughs) would bring me. Um, I really never read any until I was an adult and I still don't read a ton of them. Um, I've read a couple of graphic novels and I, uh, have tried out some comics i tried out um and and quite liked actually uh ben blacker's hex wives oh right yeah which i think is just coming out in um trade paperback oh cool and and i would absolutely name the artist if i could remember um but yeah i think the whole thing has been uh the whole series is out to my knowledge and has Mm. been put together into a like a trade issue and is and that's coming out um, and I'm glad because I didn't keep up with, I read the first couple and then I just wasn't able to keep up. I don't work or live near a comic book store anymore <laughs> for one thing. Yeah. So um, I, uh, I will eventually probably track that down. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. But yeah, I think that a lot of, um, I mean, it's hard to say how mainstream things get even within subcultures, but I think that a lot of people do get into comics because comic book movies have become so big. And so I hear people who have been like really into comics as a genre, as a way of life, uh, talking <laughs> about like, oh, somebody was asking me because they saw the new Spider-Man movie, like where should they start with Spider-Man comics or whatever. But oh wow, yeah, there was okay. definitely a time when 
comics were sort of a boy thing and the reason that I have a good sense of that is because I've heard people talk about the history of comics and how in the 80s and 90s and whatever it is that we never decided we're calling the decade after the 90s the aughts we never did nope I guess the aughts uh yeah there were a lot of manufacturers or publishers pardon me who were talking about creating like female friendly brands or series or runs of pre-established characters and the Mm -hmm. fact that they were trying to reach out in that direction would make one think that they weren't getting a ton of uh, people already yeah female friendly is an interesting yeah is that the term they used like is that i i'm sure that there was corporate speak around all that kind of stuff but i was sort of using it euphemistically to be like what's a thing that girls like Oh, I assumed they were using it euphemistically. Yeah. yeah. Um, Rather than just like, yeah. why don't we let, you know, female creators create things and maybe that will yeah. provide a richer, you know, uh, set of instruments in our orchestra. That that would do it. Yeah, that would do it. And and even some, um, some male creators, although it's less common mm-hmm. for, in my experience, and I've done a lot of, not as much comic reading, but just I've done a lot of reading and watching of stuff in my time. <laughs> and I am very confident in saying that in general, sweeping generalization coming, <laughs> men do not write women very well. Yeah. But but you get the occasional one who does. Um, I would say Ben Blacker is one of them. Cool. Um, as is Ben Acker, his writing partner. They are an exception to that rule. Uh, Wally Lamb, the novelist, is another exception to that rule. So they do exist. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think there also, for a very long time, has been a bias against um, just female protagonists. Yeah. You know, that thing about girls will read books about boys, boys won't read books about girls. Yeah. And, and the missing piece of that is girls will read books about boys because they are forced to. Yeah. <laughs> they are not given a choice. Yeah. It is all they are told that men are the defaults and you know and so that's why that happens and i i bet i really bet i have faith in in young boys that if you gave them female protagonists and didn't tell them that it was girly yeah or somehow undesirable to like that that if you just let them make their own decision that probably it would come out even yeah you know yeah especially i mean if you have a story that's good and you know a compelling read i mean just Mm -hmm. using simplistic language on purpose that yeah that the demographic stuff isn't as important maybe as the people above the level of creative tend to think it is like no we have to create a, ki- a kind of story that includes these elements like no just let a creative yeah. person do their thing and find their voice and then the audience will follow yeah and it's i mean often trying to create something for women or for men ends up as silliness yes exactly like I mean, my favorite thing ever was Bic pens for women, which, which I assume were more expensive. <laughs> I think they were. They also <laughs> tended to be pink and purple. And listen, if you have some time, mm. audience and Chris as well, do yourself a favor. Go on Amazon and look up the, the Bic pens for women and read the customer reviews. Oh, my God. Because women in particular, and some men, had a field day with this. You know, things like, finally, a pen that will fit in my lady hands. Mm-hmm. Um, like, they just, they really, they really took the company to task over that. And, of course, the product line was immediately canceled. They realized what a yeah. stupid, because th- this only happened a few years ago. And it's like, women have been using pens since pens were invented. I don't know why it ever entered their heads that we specifically needed special 
pink pens for ourselves. I don't know who had this idea or why it got past legal and why it was okayed, but it was. Yeah. And the 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 result of it is a treasure trove of hilarious Amazon reviews. Well, which I highly recommend. Yes. That was not on my list, but it, that's a that's a bonus for you. Is go read those; they're amazing. Stevie's talent crush is people who write Amazon reviews. Okay, next. People who write funny, well-deserved Amazon reviews uh, about stupid products that should not exist. Besides Amazon reviews, what else have you been reading? Um, well, actually, what's I don't. I don't have books on my list this time, although I oh, have been okay. reading. Well, um, last month was very much book month, mm-hmm. um, and I I am still reading, but my they're not on my list. Um, in keeping with your robot theme, oh, I always <laughs> um, like robots. Uh, I have been checking out a new show called Emergence. Oh, right. Okay. Uh, that's new for this season and stars Allison Tolman, Allison whom Tolman. we both love. Absolutely. Uh, and who I believe has in her Twitter bio that she is available to guest on podcasts. Yes. Allison, if you're listening to this, we would love to have you. If anyone knows Allison Tolman. We must know someone who does. Oh, I 100% know we do. But yes, that's... Yes, we do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and she's fantastic mm-hmm. in it, by the way, uh, which is not a surprise to anyone who's been paying attention. Nope. Um, she had a... And, and is continuing to have, I believe, uh, a really fun arc on the show Good Girls with Christina Hendricks and Mae Whitman oh, yeah? and Retta. Um, although I don't know. She may have had to leave that show now that she has her own, because this will this is full time. Yeah. She's the star of it. Um, but she has done some excellent work in the last couple of seasons on, on Good Girls. And prior to that, of course, she had, um, was it called Downward Dog? I think so, yeah. Yeah, which I was so sad when they canceled that. That was actually <laughs> such a really fun show. Um, and uh, and I, I loved her in the lead on that. So I am not the least bit surprised at um, at how good she is on Emergence. But And the, the show is really good. And uh, the, the second lead of that show is a little girl mm-hmm. um, who's about 10 years old and who's also just remarkable. So there's some... And it's network TV. This is not like premium <laughs> streaming. They they really like. There's some uh, lovely performances happening every week on this network show, and a really fun plot that I can't wait to see where it goes. I think there are four episodes in um, as of this week, and I'm not going to say too much about how it connects to robots because oh, I don't want to spoil them. That's I know. all I was waiting for. <laughs> but you've got to get to like episode three before that becomes apparent. And I would hate to spoil what leads up to that because it, I think right. they've really, I think they have a winner. I think it's going to, and now that I've said that, like, I hope they don't, you know, get canceled next week. I, I hope they get a full season. I would <laughs> like to see them get a full season and run for a while because I think it's sort of the new, um, you know, we, there's a show every so often that comes along something that's like, you know, the, there was the X-Files and then there was Fringe uh-huh. and then there was, um, oh, what was what was that one that it, it took place here? It was filmed here. It starred mostly Canadians, except Rachel Nichols played the lead oh, on it. Continuum. Continuum. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so there's kind of, there's something in that sort of sci-fi genre, uh-huh. which I, I think of as, as light sci-fi or grounded sci-fi in that it takes place otherwise in our world yeah, in sure. reality. It doesn't take place in space. It's not uh-huh. Battlestar Galactica. Yeah. 
or something. Um, there, you know, those shows come along every so often. I think this is one of those. It certainly seems to be, um, but it's grounded very much in our real modern world, and it's I'm really loving it, and I think people should check it out. Cool, that's awesome. Yeah, uh, yeah, can't say enough good things about Alison Tolman or robots. So putting those two things together, <laughs> right? <laughs> It's obviously a winner. And I mean, it's the casting on the show is really, really good. Um, just in general, everybody is very well cast and, and everybody is doing a fantastic job. And Donald Faison from, from Scrubs oh, is great. on it in a totally different role, like as just like a really good dad. Um, so, yeah, a, I just I recommend. <laughs> uh, no, he to my knowledge so far as of episode four, he is not a robot. Uh, and nor is he dad to any robots. Damn, got me on that one too. <laughs> yeah, so I'm not. I'm not going to tell you. You have to go watch it. <laughs> well, it's on Hulu, so I will check it out. Oh, is it? Okay, uh-huh. I don't know. I get it on City TV. <laughs> <laughs> yes, um, yes. That's why I mentioned the Hulu for any of our uh, audience south of the border. <laughs> yes, for Americans who are trying to stream it. It is apparently on Hulu. If you are Canadian, uh, it is on City TV. If you are trying to on-demand it, it is it is not in the City TV section. It's in the like City TV Now section or something. There's a separate section all of a sudden on the on-demand on Shaw for City TV. They split it in two. One is weird local stuff that no one's going to watch. And the other <laughs> one is... It's not even really television. And the other one... <laughs> the other one is where they put all the actual shows. Uh, so it's in there. And I imagine that it might be on, on Crave or that it might come to Netflix at some point. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> Very I'm not up on guidance. what's going to what's streaming. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, should we stop down for a minute while you go do the rest of your homework for this episode? <laughs> My what episode? Homework for the episode. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, I go look that mm-hmm. up. Yeah. No. No, I have faith in my uh, country people, my fellow country people. They will find it if they want to. See, that's the problem. Countrymen, like, rolls off the tongue, but it doesn't work as a word because it's not inclusive. So, like, it no longer folk, works because it's not, you know, country. I was, I was fine with country people. I know it's just my little... fellow Canadians and other people who are living here. <laughs> <laughs> Well, because if I only say Canadians, then I'm I'm only counting the citizens and the permanent residents. Fair enough. I'm not. I don't even know if I'm if I'm officially counting the permanent residents when I think so, when I say that. Uh, but then there's like the the people here on long term visas and the people who are I don't know children of diplomats who are having to hang out here for a while. Um, your international students and what have you. So it, all of the people currently in Canada who would like to try out this show, just uh, I don't know, Google it. You'll find it. I believe in you. Ready to go. <laughs> <laughs> What else is on your list? Do you have um, any more robot-related stuff? or? Um, I don't know if I do have robot-related stuff. I might. I do have one that's it's... sort of tangentially related to robots, but I want to save it because I want to instead do our ham-fisted um, segue off of Canadian things and say, okay. speaking of people who like Canada. <laughs> oh, all right. Who likes Canada? <laughs> Kevin Smith has a new movie out called Jane. Oh, he does Bob like Reboot. Canada. <laughs> he is a quite a fan of the Great White North, the fabled Canadas. Uh, 
Yes, he loves Vancouver. Mm-hmm. He actually, he's, I think we've talked about it on the show before. Yep. He's wonderful. He's been wonderful to Vancouver. He helped us save the Rio Theater. Thank you, Kevin. We love you, too. <laughs> Very nice. Uh, hopeful, yeah. Hopefully, uh, future friend of slash guest on the show, if I have anything to say about it. Maybe. Who knows? <laughs> um, but I have been a Kevin Smith fan, uh, low these many decades. Uh, and the new movie that he has out, Jay and Bob Reboot, is mm-hmm. um it's got kind of a wacky release schedule so i would tell people go ahead and go to rebootroadshow.com to see if it's playing near you both in the u.s and mm-hmm. in canada um okay. because it's not opening nationwide they're doing a tour and then it opens in that market the weekend after the tour okay so it's a little weird that is wacky. it might not be at your local cineplex um but if anybody is a kevin smith fan i really cannot recommend this movie enough uh Kevin has had the kind of career where not everybody, I feel like he's more of a name than, more name that people know than people have seen his movies. That's not words that go together. I know, I know what you mean, though. I know who yeah. he is who have never seen his movies. Maybe that's the sentence I wanted. But I think that, like, he got a lot of criticism early on for not being a very artistic director, for just sort of pointing his camera at his actors and sort of letting the script speak for itself. And gradually over time, his directing style has evolved and he's done different kinds of things and experimented. And I have seen all of his movies multiple times except for Tusk because that was genuinely disturbing and I didn't want to watch it again. Um, But this new Jay and Bob movie is a real like love letter to all the movies that he made that are sort of of part of what we used to call the Jersey Trilogy. Uh, Mm -hmm. Clerks, Mallrats, Chasing Amy. uh, Yep. Clerks 2, Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back, they, and Dogma as well, I guess, is part of that. And they all form, like, this View Askew universe that gets this really nice sort of capstone with this movie. And it's about, you know, it's got a father-daughter story at the core of it, but it's also just Kevin's regular dick and fart joke sort of storylines. Um, I would expect nothing less. <laughs> and the, I guess the thing, I was talking to our pal and friend of the show, uh, Amanda, the horsehead pharmacist. Shout out to our friend oh, Amanda. Yes. Hi, Amanda. And the thing that we got into a little bit was just the, the idea of like, we only touched on it a little bit, so not to misrepresent our conversation, but the thing that I wanted to talk about is that there is there is art and there can be beauty in just dick and fart joke movies. Like, you don't have to have like art can exist in a place that doesn't necessarily have the shiny veneer of artistic fullness like kevin smith movies are never going to win oscars but a lot of them still contain great performances they still contain powerful emotions and things that i personally and a lot of other people respond to and this is in a sense like a defense of something that there's no straw man on the other side of but like Mm -hmm. this movie was moving like there are tearful moments in it there are hilarious Mm -hmm. moments there are things that are powerful because i've seen all these movies for the past 20 plus years and i don't know maybe this is an unnecessarily preemptive but i'm sure it's going to get a lot of negative press just because people don't necessarily like naughty words in movies i don't know what what's your experience with kevin smith you you say something i feel like i've been talking for a million years um, so my experience with him is not that broad. Yeah. Um, I definitely have seen Clerks. <laughs> uh, and I remember Mallrats and Chasing Amy. But my, I, I sort of, I didn't keep up with him mm-hmm. 
in the same way. So I kind of I saw his early stuff yeah. a long time ago. It's another case of um, stuff that isn't particularly aimed at me. Yeah, that's fair. Um, so it's sort of a and I again because I haven't seen all of his stuff. This might be unfair, but they always. I don't think I'm the audience for it. Mm-hmm. I don't think that women in particular were necessarily the audience for it. And that's okay. Sure. Not everything has to be for everybody. Uh, I will say dick and fart jokes, as you put it, generally <laughs> not, not my style, not my genre, not my, yeah. not my cup of tea. Mm-hmm. Um, so to me, I do, I do know him a little more in the way that you, talked about where I'm aware of who he is I know what his work is but I don't yeah. follow it intensely um, you know I also know he has his Batman podcast and yeah, he has exactly. you know um, so I'm, I'm aware of him and I, I think he's um, I, I know he's a good guy and mm-hmm. I think he's overall a funny guy mm-hmm. um, and I was on board in the early days but I just didn't keep up with it so sure. yeah. um, that said like to your, your point about I mean I think there's a difference between art and what necessarily wins awards sure okay um there's there's a kind of a especially if you're going to talk about something like the oscars yeah. <laughs> there's a bit of showiness that goes into that mm-hmm. you know the stuff more and more too because smaller quieter movies used to get nominated more often yeah but for the last few decades really um it it does have to be sort of a, a bigger, higher budget, slicker film. Like mm-hmm. I think back to, um, you know, the movie Children of a Lesser God starring friend of the show, Marley Mallon. <laughs> and if you go back and you look at that film, like it's beautifully shot. It's really, it's really nice, but there's, it's not fancy. Yeah. It's, it's a story about people. A lot of it is actually shot outdoors on the, on the grounds of the mm-hmm. boarding school where it takes place um, in like, weather <laughs> so and there's no there's no glam to it you know everybody there are a couple of scenes where people get dressed up for something sure but sure. it's people in regular clothes with their regular haircuts and they're this is the makeup i put on today you know <laughs> they look they're just humans living their lives that's what that movie is and and the power of that movie is in the relationships and the realizations that they have about each other and and there's nothing particularly slick about it it's actually quite raw and and i think still holds up and still an excellent movie but if you were to put that up against um like it there are no to my knowledge anyway there are no special effects in it yeah there's no you know probably the highest budget scenes were the ones they had to do underwater because it was the 80s and you need equipment for that (laughs) there's some swimming scenes that are shot from underneath um so and and movies like that used to get nominated for Oscars and now I feel like they often don't yeah. and what we see are the bigger slicker like like the most recent example would be something like um, what was that Fishman movie last shape year Shape of Water The Shape of The Shape of Water mm-hmm. but that's full of special effects oh, yeah. and full and it is and it is a showpiece movie Yeah and so were a lot of the others so I think a lot of that also is probably budgetary Yeah um and and you're banking on things like big special effects, big names. Mm-hmm. That doesn't necessarily constitute art. I'm not saying that Shape of Water wasn't artistically valid. I mean, sure. they did some amazing stuff mm-hmm. in that film. 
Um, and in, I'm sure, many of the others that were nominated, I saw some of them, not all of them. <laughs> but you don't have to have a giant budget to create a piece of art. You just don't. And some of, some of the, I don't, I don't want to use the word best, but okay. some, of the, some of the art that maybe speaks to certain people most mm-hmm. will be something that's a little bit lower key. Yeah. And a little bit more, um, not more real necessarily, but a little more stripped down and bare. And I think there is absolutely value in, and unless you're using a wonky camera angle and the thing is out of focus, <laughs> there is value in pointing your camera at your actors yeah. and letting them go and letting their performances in the script speak for itself. Because here's the thing. If those two pieces are bad, mm-hmm. if the performances and the script are bad, it doesn't matter what else you have. Yeah. No, it actually doesn't. Point. If you don't have those things, you can throw all the special effects that you want and you will still make a bad movie. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it might be very splashy and showy. Yeah. It might even win some awards because who knows? Some technical but awards. You, <laughs> you won't necessarily have made art. Yeah. Um, or you've made some sort of, you know, bad art needs work. <laughs> Um, well, and I think the other thing but that I, comes along yeah. with a super high budget is like a lot of cooks in the kitchen and like, okay, we need to it make can, this yeah. a four quadrant film and we need to add this character or change this character, or, you know, make it palatable, make it appealing so that we'll make our money back. And when you have a it lower can water budget, something down, yeah, yeah. When you have a lower budget movie that I would say, again, gross generalizations, it tends to mm-hmm. be more reflective of a single or smaller group of people's version, uh, vision, pardon me. It's you know, like I have this one creative thing that I want to say and I only need $10,000 to say it versus $110 million. I think that's often true. I think, I think the two things can sort of coexist. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also think that that whole auteur thing can be dangerous oh, as sure. well. No, that's a really good. I'm going to get, I'm gonna go ahead and get myself in some trouble here Ha-ha. and reference uh, Quentin Tarantino. Sure who definitely has that auteur reputation and definitely gets a lot of money to make his films. Mm -hmm. And I don't like them. Yeah, that's fine. I don't like all of them. I don't, I don't think they're that great. And I am truly not thrilled about the fact that he very nearly killed Uma Thurman. Yeah. Um, There is literal danger in someone who is an auteur Mm -hmm. and who is allowed to do whatever they want, sometimes at the expense of other people's safety. She has lasting injuries from that car accident in a car she never should have been in doing a stunt that never should have happened. Um, So I, you know, just, just because it's a singular vision also doesn't mean it's necessarily good. So I don't necessarily mean that by stripped down. I think there's absolutely such a thing as too many cooks. Yeah. There is also such a thing as too few cooks. <laughs> I get, a, and, and I say this as a person who was credited as, you know, writer, producer, star on my own thing, but I would be very quick to add, I have a co-writer and a co-producer oh. and I didn't direct the thing. And, you know, because I get worried when I see that someone is the writer, the producer, mm-hmm. the lead actor, the director, the editor. It's like, you got to let some other cooks in. Well, Somebody else will have ideas that will be valuable. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and I think that's a, a really good springboard back into talking about Kevin Smith for just a quick second is that he is. Yeah the writer, the producer, the director, one of the lead characters, and the editor mm-hmm. and on yep. Jay and Bob Reboot and many of his other movies. And I think that for a movie like this, which is sort of built on history and self-reference and mm-hmm. 
full of cast and crew people that he's known for many many years including one that he created along with his lovely yep. wife Jen Schmalbach <laughs> <laughs> that being Harley Quinn Smith the third lead of the yes. movie um, who is fantastic um, I think that this is the exact kind of movie that having one vision works for but that, that absolutely does not work for every kind of movie yeah, there's an exception to every rule. Exactly, exactly. And this type of movie made by this particular guy uh-huh. works. Yeah. It might not work if someone else tried to do it, or it might. Um, it might not work if he tried to do that on a different kind of movie. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. But this is. But like, in this particular instance, he's the exception that proves the rule. And this is the kind of example <laughs> yeah. of just like taking the roof off of your skull and pouring your brains out onto the page. Like this movie is just gross, full Chris. Of, you're welcome. It's <laughs> that is gross. Full of references of everything that he's created in not just his professional career, but also references to things in his personal life and podcasts and everything else. And so I'm, I am really kind of anthropologically fascinated to hear what someone who's never seen a Kevin Smith movie thinks of reboot, because it might honestly be totally incomprehensible. Like this is a yeah, movie it sounds... for people who already like Kevin Smith movies. I will definitely say that's, that's just a fact. It sounds like it is aimed at a very specific audience, mm-hmm. which might be a point in its favor mm-hmm. of its weird release schedule. Yeah, exactly. Um, it makes like knowing that makes it, that schedule makes a lot more sense to me now yeah. that they would do a tour and then open in that market mm-hmm. because that will be where they know they have fans. Exactly. You're going to pick your tour stops based on where, you know, you can sell your tickets. Yep. Um, and then, then you'll open the movie to those people mm-hmm. after you've made your tour stop. So that makes a lot more sense to me than And maybe, yeah, putting something like that in wide release. Cause also, I would assume if you're moving it around like that, it's not staying in release in that market very long. I wouldn't think so, but I don't have those numbers in front of me. So you probably need fewer copies of it. Oh, that's a really interesting point. Cause, and yeah. that right there is going to save funds. Mm-hmm. That if you only need, say, say you need three. Yeah. Right? Like you need one to ship ahead to the next market. You need one for the market you're in and you need one for the market you just left yeah. because by the time you get to your next market, the one from where you left two stops before that runs probably over and that can go ahead Yeah, leapfrogs. is kind of the way that I would think to structure something like that, not being a distributor, yeah, but that's super you don't, and you probably need more than three, maybe, maybe you need five. I don't know, but you probably need fewer copies mm-hmm. and that's going to save you money because when you put something in wide release, every theater has at least one copy of that film. Yeah. Maybe two. Maybe they have a backup in case. I mean, it, they don't break the way they used to when it was actual film on a projector. Well, and also, this is digital, so <laughs> I don't know if that even... I mean, I, I don't know. It still how. costs money to burn DVDs. That's true. Yeah. I can tell you that from experience. That even <laughs> if you're... Like, you, it's still the mastering and, and all of that oh, still has to be done. There's still quite a cost to that. And then once that's all been done, the individual copies are not that bad. Yeah. Um, and in fact, the more you buy, the lower the cost per... Oh, of course, item. yeah. I guess I was just um, thinking about, like, the literal fragility of a disc versus... Oh, yeah, no, those won't break. Um, That's all I meant. Or it's very, I mean, you could break them if you wanted to, but they're unlikely mm-hmm. to get damaged in, in shipping. Absolutely. Um, but still, yeah, it's it can... I think it can probably save you making a bunch of copies that will not get used and that yeah. will maybe then... I don't know, sit around? Because we don't have video stores anymore. It's not like you can send them out to the video stores to run out. I know, right? 
So, Even yeah. the video store mm -hmm. in the Kevin Smith universe, RST Video, is no longer a video store in this movie. That's not a spoiler. It's in the first That's 30 seconds of the movie. But It's very sad. Yep. And yet, expected. Yep. Uh, <laughs> what, uh, what else do you have on your list? Um, the Good Place is back. The Good Place is so back. I just wanted to say that. I don't know if you're watching it in real time. Uh -huh. Okay. Because you don't always. I watch it so. the morning after because I watch it on Hulu and that Oh, that counts. Yeah. That's real time. Mm -hmm. But week to week. Yeah, I, I don't want to spoil it for anyone. I, so this is a very brief mention of just <laughs> I'm very happy that The Good Place is back. I'm loving everything they're doing. The thing that happened this week, the, the payoff from a few weeks before, mm -hmm. I knew it. Did you? We're going to have to talk I... about this off the air, except we both have heart out after this, so not. But yeah, still, so that's, I will say briefly, wow. when I knew back then when they got off the train. That there was something hinky I, going on. Yes. Well, I just I just remember thinking we didn't see what happened on that train. Oh, like we saw them get on it. We saw them come back off it. That might not be them. Hmm. So, I feel like I sort of called it. Interesting. Yeah. You should have written it down and done that thing where you send it to yourself in an envelope <laughs> to get and the, prove it. Yeah. Stamp. Yeah. Yeah. I know. Um and I I didn't, I didn't know which one it would be, but I did, I suspected in the right direction. Okay, well, we're definitely partly have to because talk about this with some we've seen multiples before. Uh -huh. um, but yeah, so I was. They did a great job of it because what ha what did happen in the interim is that I kind of forgot about it. Oh, that's good. Like because in the next episode, it's like, well, it all seems pretty normal, and I yeah. sort of let it go. Yeah. When it didn't pay off immediately, I let it go. And then this episode, it totally paid off, and I'm very excited to see what happens next. Well, that's the thing that this show is really good at is sort of like keeping balls in the air, but making you forget that they're juggling. Yes, you know, they, they're making and then you think a, that there's suddenly a, a ball plops down. Yeah, they make <laughs> yeah. you think your experience of watching this show is that you're looking at a ball, but in fact that ball is being juggled. It's not hmm. standing still. This is a terrible metaphor. Oh, I was, I, think. I was thinking more of looking at the juggler and just not always being aware of how many balls are in the air at any given time, but they're still That could be a better moving. metaphor. <laughs> it's just where my mind went with it. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm, I guess they probably did 13 again. I don't know. I didn't look up how long the season is. Pretty sure. Um, but, but very exciting. And the, I highly recommend the companion podcast that comes out um, either every Thursday night or every Friday morning, <laughs> depending yeah. on when you're, updates i've been getting it in this season of the show well, whatever the past few weeks i've been getting it around midnight and so yeah. the podcast is available before i can watch the show which is sort of torturous because it just has to sit staring at me in my queue yeah at least one week it did drop for me after the show had aired on the east coast but before it had aired here oh that's torturous it dropped at like 8 p.m <laughs> i was like mm, show's not until nine guys <laughs> You really, really should drop it Friday mornings. <laughs> well, I guess they sort of know their audience. I guess so. And, and obviously I wasn't going to listen to the podcast before I saw the episode because it would be yeah. full of spoilers. Yeah. So, and th that's um, the thing yeah, that I sort of noticed that. that I actually kind of respect them for doing this. Um, I guess we should shout out the production, including Lizzie Pace, who writes most mm -hmm. of the um, copy for the podcast wraparound mm -hmm. bits that they never talk about like oh there's going to be spoilers they just talk about the show like I find yeah that interesting. They, well they assume you've seen that episode yeah and you also know i feel like we're 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 very safe in that they're not going to go beyond that episode yes 
They will talk about everything leading up to what's aired. Mm-hmm. And and they did actually in the first <laughs> three seasons of the podcast. That's not right. It hasn't <laughs> been running that long. But since the podcast started, because when it when it started, I guess before last season, it started last summer, mm-hmm. and they did um, they did once a week uh, episodes from seasons one and two. Yeah, and they were very clear every week that we will talk about everything leading up like the, the episode we're discussing now and everything that came before it so yeah. if you haven't seen what came before it we will spo- so go back mm-hmm. like don't don't get ahead of yourself on the podcast from where you are in the show yeah. essentially so i felt like that was always fair like anything from when they got to season two anything from season one was fair game when they got of course but yeah. they didn't spoil season one along the way which was nice yeah i guess i just um, at least i don't i don't think they did or maybe they did actually maybe they did because it had all aired yeah. But it was... I don't know. That, I guess. But it, the, that, I can't quite remember, but... No, and I'm thinking when we got to season three, when yeah. seasons one and two were fair game, but they would only go up because they started airing the podcast after the show yep. in season three. Yeah. So... But I, I just listened yeah. to tons of, like, movie and TV-related podcasts, you know, or rewatches mm-hmm. and what have you, uh, critical analyses. And yeah. it seems like every host, every producer, every show kind of has their own way of going about hey we're going to talk about this thing so if you haven't watched it be forewarned and i was just noticing yeah. that the good place this season has just kind of rolled right in like they know their audience i guess they uh they're, they're just doing their thing and I, I appreciate sort of the smoothness of it because sometimes people can be a little bit like i mean we definitely are guilty of that as well probably more so me because i'm just <laughs> more awkward in general but like the should we talk about things should we not talk about things here's a thing there might be a spoiler do 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 well, I think I think though an important uh, point about the Good Place podcast is that NBC owns it. Yeah, no, that's so. A good point too. This is this is a heavily produced podcast, and there are network rules about what they can and cannot say. Sure, for sure. Even though they never really reference that. Yeah. On the show, and it it I mean I think they made and I might be a little biased here because as you know, we know this gentleman. <laughs> um, but I think they absolutely picked the right host for it in Mark Evan Jackson because he's on the show in a recurring role. So he doesn't know everything. He knows a lot, mm-hmm. but he doesn't know everything. So it's still legitimate for him to ask questions. That There's nothing about that that feels like, oh, he knows that. He's just putting this on. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, he didn't come on to that show until late in season one. Mm-hmm. And he was a legitimate fan of the show. Yeah. Before he was working on it. Yeah. So they kind of have, and he's got a great radio voice. Oh my gosh. If my voice sounded um, like Mark Evan Jackson, we would have been podcasting years ago. <laughs> I mean, yeah, he used to be on NPR and stuff. He, yeah. So he, um, I think he's absolutely the right pick for it. And it does feel very sort of well run over there. Like yeah. you feel like he knows what he's doing as host. The producers know what they're doing. They're never going to, accidentally spoil something for you that you don't want to know um so you you, i think you don't feel the sort of legal tentacles that must be around that because they have the right people doing it but i'm also very conscious that nbc owns this they own the show they own the podcast and they are absolutely controlling the flow of information so that that doesn't happen and i would bet that they spend a lot more time editing that show than your average you know diy podcasters like us do they very well might. Yeah. Um, and they have more lead time yeah. now as well, because, of course, they they don't 
they don't record that Thursday night after the show airs. Yeah. They've recorded that weeks <laughs> before, at least ago. by this point. Yeah. yeah. Like they, they got, I, I, in fact, they talked about it in this week's uh, episode of the podcast. They mentioned that they record a few weeks ahead and what they have seen is a rough cut. Yeah. Yeah, he's talked about that quite um, a bit, which is interesting, especially when they're talking about like Need Noggle and the effects. And oh, we saw the previs on this, but it was interesting to finally see how it came out. Yeah, sometimes they have not seen the <laughs> until right before they haven't seen the the horse monster or whatever. <laughs> the horse so, blob. I think it was horse blob. I, I think they called it a horse monster. I might have to. Yeah, I can't remember. I don't know. Its <laughs> name was Daisy, mm-hmm. and. Um, <laughs> Janet uh, had to twist its head off. So um, there was thrashing, yeah. <laughs> but we don't need to. Get there was thrashing. That. Thrashing happened. <laughs> um, okay, so uh, on the topic of podcasts, uh-huh. it's it's maybe bad form to um, s- potentially send people away from our podcast <laughs> by talking about other podcasts. No, the world of podcasting is much bigger than that. <laughs> I hope so. Um, and. So I just, there are two podcasts that I wanted to shout out really quickly because uh, I think they're a lot of fun. Okay, let's go. Um, so the first one is, uh, it's called Office Ladies. <gasps> you started listening to Office Ladies? I, I started, started listening to yet. Office Ladies. Oh. So that's um, uh, Jenna Fisher and Angela Kinsey, mm-hmm. known to everybody as Pam and Angela mm-hmm. from The Office. And uh, they have started a podcast wherein they recap every episode of The Office, mm-hmm. um, you know, one by one. So I think only the pilot is out at this point. And um, I, that's the only one I've listened to. So the, confusingly, it is the pilot <laughs> of their podcast. And also the episode that they're discussing is the pilot yeah. of the show. Um, but it's really, really good. I'm, I'm enjoying it so far. They remember quite an enormous amount, considering that it's wow. been 15 years since they did the show. I'm not sure how many since they ended. It ran nine seasons, so yeah. Someone do that math. Five years. <laughs> um, but it's, it's really fun, and you find out uh, stuff that they remember, or that one of them remembers and the other doesn't. Or sure. Sometimes one of them has insight on something that the other one wasn't there for. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's I uh, I recommend it, and they're just fun because they really they really are friends. Yeah, it's another case of people who they met on that show. They became best friends. They are still best friends, <laughs> and so they worked together on that. And it is fun to listen to them enjoy each other as they talk about it. So I'm recommending that. And then the other thing I'm recommending is the neighborhood listen. Oh, you finally got a chance to uh, hear some of that. I'm I'm uh, all caught up, and that is uh, our friend Paul F. Tompkins <laughs> and uh, uh, another comedian named Nicole Parker, and they they play the names are are very good. <laughs> um, Bert Millipede, I think. <laughs> I can't. He says it. It's not spelled quite this. It's spelled millipede, but that's not right. It's not how he pronounces it. Of course. And I can't. I can't do it right now. I'll get it. He'll, I'll hear him and like introduce himself a few more times, and I'll get it. <laughs> Millipe- Millipedia, maybe? Um, and Joan Pedestrian. Yep. Uh, so they play these two characters. She's a realtor. He's a pharmacist. They live in the community of Dignity Falls. Dignity Falls. And, right? It's so good on so many levels. <laughs> and they, it's, the whole thing is based on an app that 
if it's available in Canada, I haven't been able to find it for Vancouver yet, but it's called Next Door. I know yeah. this is a big thing in California oh, yeah. where it's sort of central to your neighborhood and you mm-hmm. can post questions or things for sale. Or or I saw a coyote or I saw you know a yes. black person where they don't belong. Like there's a lot of... <laughs> questionable stuff on that website. well if that person is posting then i you have to go knock on their door and set them straight um yes. but so they use real posts from what i assume is the next door app although they never name it for legal reasons but yeah, they do this in character they, they yeah they change some some street names so that <laughs> you know it's not immediately apparent what neighborhood they're really talking about and and who these people might be and where they might live. Um, but they, they read real posts from this neighborhood and comment on them, and then they'll bring a third comedian on as a guest. Uh, usually that guest is in character as somebody who has posted on the app and that they brought in for further information. It's pretty great. It's a lot of fun. Because um, it, it is just fun. So it's, it's nice. a nice break from like the news cycle. And stuff. It's just a delightful, fun, silly, and uh, yeah, the things that people post on this app apparently are nutty. some of them ludicrous. <laughs> nutty cuckoo banana pants. Yeah, it's pretty. It's pretty amazing. So um, I highly recommend that. Get on it. And I just want to say, I don't know why I'm saying this because it's embarrassing, but I just realized that neighborhood listen is sort of a play on the term neighborhood watch. That's exactly what it is. Yes. I just they, realized they that. Talk, they talk about that. Yes. This podcast has been out for a month. I just realized that. <laughs> Have you listened to it, though? Have you? I listened to the first one, and since mm-hmm. it's only available through Stitcher, I just haven't gotten back to it because the Stitcher app is not as dependable as otherwise that I listen to podcasts. <laughs> oh, because I, I actually I did sign up for, I did the free trial of the Stitch Preems. There you go. In order to listen to it, because it is only on Stitcher Premium. Yep. You can't. Yep. You can't get it free. Yeah. Uh, while you're um, on which there, is also where Office Ladies is, by the way. So you will have to at least get a free trial of the Stitch Premiums <laughs> to enjoy these things. Uh, while you're on there, you personally, Stevie recommendation, yes. you've got to go listen to some Freedoms. I mean, come on. Oh, I've heard Freedom. Well, the free ones, because right? Because, yeah. Well, they bring them out from behind the paywall. It's yeah. the same episode, isn't it? Just with ads? Mm-hmm. I mean, yes, I will listen to it on the Stitch Premiums while I have that. <laughs> Okay, well, I think uh, I have a couple of podcast recs that I'm going to do real quick here, too. Go for it. Uh, since we're in podcast recommendation lightning round. And uh, the first one is a show that just came out. And segue of segues, it features Paul F. Tompkins as its first guest. It's uh, Lacey Mosley's podcast, Scam Goddess. And uh, I know Lacey, not personally, but uh, as a guest from Spontanea Nation, and then I followed her on Twitter, Mm -hmm. and she's just a really amazingly funny comic, and this show is all about, like, scams and frauds, and the first episode with Paul is just amazing, and if I hadn't already been um, interested in listening to her podcast just from enjoying her on Spons, she's hilarious, and the second episode is already out. I cannot remember who it is. I think it might be Nicole Byer, but I might be wrong about that. But um, okay, Scam Goddess, check it out. And then also I'm going to make good on a very poor tease that I made earlier in the episode uh, about robot-related content, which is to say oh, that yes. this is not entirely robot-related, but it is sort of robot-adjacent in that it's a podcast okay. about disaster movies, some of which feature robots. The podcast sure. is called Disaster Girls, 
It's Amanda Smith, who is a sort of Twitter acquaintance of mine, and Jordan Cruciola, and they talk about disaster movies. The first episode is Volcano, which is uh, from okay. the 90s. It's Tommy Lee Jones fighting volcanoes in downtown L.A. And uh, Amazing. There are lots of other. They've put out, I want to say, a dozen or so episodes. <laughs> uh, I cannot recommend it highly enough if you like disaster movies. Uh, you will definitely enjoy Jordan and Amanda talking about disaster movies, especially because they do like a fan cast of a reboot. If we were going to make this okay. movie now, who would we put in it? And, oh, like, yes. That alone was almost good enough. Like the Volcano one, uh, Tommy Lee Jones and Anne Heche play the disaster manager for the city of L.A. and the geologist I remember this. who helps him I never, fight the volcano. I never saw it. And their fan cast, one of them, they did several, but one of them was mm-hmm. Laura Dern as the Tommy Lee Jones character and Randall Park as the helpful geologist. And if you know the parts in this movie, it was just, I found it incredibly Interesting. great. Um, Interesting. I like the gender flip. Mm-hmm. The fan cast yeah. for the Hurricane Heist episode was also amazing, but I'm not going to spoil it. Uh, but yeah, the couple of really amazing podcasts that I've just started up recently that I do recommend. Super fun. Um, looking at the time, I think like it's about time to wrap it up. I think you're right. I, I think maybe we did it. <laughs> I think we did. We did it. All right. <laughs> uh, before we go, I guess we usually talk about uh, some people doing some good in the world. Usually, yeah. <laughs> uh, it seems like I'm going to start this time because <laughs> you go right ahead. I feel yes. like I have the momentum. Uh, I'm going to tell y'all about an organization called Heifer International. That's H-E-I-F-E-R, like a cow. And the reason it's called that is because they're an anti-poverty group uh, dedicated to essentially helping people use livestock in developing areas uh, as sort of like small business building. Because if you have a herd of cattle that can help you, you know, um, whether it's meat products or dairy products or whatever you have. Basically, the I hesitate to call it a gimmick because every, well, not every, but many charity organizations have this kind of thing where you make a symbolic adoption. But the mm-hmm. deal with Heifer International is that you can give a goat or a pig or a sheep or rabbits, a water buffalo, ducks, geese, an alpaca, honeybees. Mm-hmm. And I just find that kind of delightful that you can just give someone a goat <laughs> give someone a goat exactly. <laughs> and just sort of I, I always admire organizations like this and World Wildlife Funds and Sheldrick who we talked about recently yes. they sort of give you like an easy to grasp concept of what your donation means and here are the people it goes to and here's how it's going to change their lives uh, and awesome. I've given to them a little bit over the years um and uh, yeah, many many goats and sheep and, and other fine animals <laughs> <laughs> have gone to people they needed them, and you can do that fine too. furry friends. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, not just furry, but feathery as well. Ooh, very fancy. <laughs> fine fancy friends. <laughs> Who are the fancy friends that you want to talk about, Stevie? <laughs> uh, did you shout out their website? Oh yeah, it's just heifer.org. We'll have a link in the show. Oh notes. okay, okay. Um, well, mine has nothing to do with cows. Aww. What about <laughs> robots? <laughs> uh, you know, <laughs> tangentially associated with robots hey. by way of the aforementioned Mark Evan Jackson, who hosts 
the Good Place podcast. Who may or may not be a robot? No, I was getting there. Who also previously... Oh, guys, you should see Chris's face. It's really funny. I almost spit out Um, He did. Uh, Previous to being Sean on The Good Place. And and sometimes uh, on a continuing basis... (laughs) Mark uh, played Sparks Nevada Marshall on Mars oh, yeah. in the Thrilling Adventure Hour, and Sparks Nevada, their robots happen. Mm-hmm. A pair of robots. There robot are robots fists. in Sparks Nevada. <clears throat> yes, he has robot fists, and also um, one of his rivals is Billy the Bot. Uh, robots mm-hmm. are quite a big part of Sparks Nevada Marshall on Mars. So, since you asked, yes, tangentially associated to robots, but not about robots. Uh, <laughs> I wanted to shout out the Detroit Creativity Project, Aww. also known as the DCP. Why did I do that? Um, That's great. I, that makes it sound I don't know. DCP is awesome. Please continue. It's a 501c3 organization, uh, so it is a registered charity. What the Improv Project does is they send professional improv teachers into public schools to deliver arts education to teach kids improv. And uh, they've been expanding. They've been around since 2011. They were formed by a group of improvisers who were out of, <clears throat> excuse me, out of Second City and who had roots of some kind in Detroit. Um, so along with Mark, uh, some of the founders include um, Larry Joe Campbell and Keegan-Michael Key and some other names that you've heard of. I'm not going to list them all because there's quite a list. And uh, the charity is primarily run by uh, Mark and his wife, Beth Hagenlocker, and they are doing what the public schools are not doing <laughs> with arts education. And they, you can read um, some of their reports and statistics, and you'll see that attendance has gone up, that kids who don't come to school otherwise will come on improv day. Yep. They will sit through school to enable, uh, in order to be able to go to improv class. And apparently some of them have been caught sneaking into school. Uh-huh after skipping to go to improv class, That's a great story. which I think it's a really good argument for um, arts and theater education in schools because it is what keeps some kids attending. Absolutely. Um, and also improv is not just for actors. It uh, helps with things like confidence. It helps with thinking on your feet. It helps with finding solutions. Um, you can learn a lot of life skills. So I think this is an amazing organization. I, I tend to send them a donation twice a year, once around Mark's birthday and once around Christmas, <laughs> um, unless they do a, a specific fundraiser. You can find them at DetroitCreativityProject.org. Um, I think we all know that since the financial crash, Detroit was hit uh, particularly hard, oh, yeah. and so there is a particular lack of budget for... Uh, things in schools that we used to consider part of a basic education and now for some reason consider thrill, uh, frills. So this is one way to ensure that that some of that stuff is still getting to the kids. And you can watch videos um, about of the kids doing improv. And you, I, I really, um, I encourage you to look it up. These are amazing people doing a wonderful thing and uh, throw them a few bucks if you can, please. Yay. Yay. Um. What, uh, what should we tell the people about what we're working on before we go? Oh, well. <laughs> no, I don't, have, I don't have any news. Um, <laughs> I thought there was actual news. That was genuinely cool. Um, 
I have, and I'll probably I'll probably plug this every month, even though I will be in it for ten seconds. Uh, I I am very very briefly in a Hallmark movie that will come out around Valentine's Day called Matchup. Mm-hmm. Um, by very briefly, I mean I have one scene. I expect to be on screen for ten seconds. <laughs> toward the end of the movie please watch it anyway a very exciting blink and you'll miss a cameo from our own (laughs) that's me um and then of course as always honestly charlotte is out there and free for your entertainment uh you can binge the whole thing in less than an hour or you can watch it approximately six minutes at a time um you can find it on youtube you can find it on vimeo it's probably easiest to just go to honestlycharlotte.com it's all there Uh, We also have merch. If you want a t-shirt or a sweatshirt or a hat or a tote bag or a dog bandana, we have that for you if you're so inclined. Uh, Any proceeds from merch will go into a fund for a potential second season that is written but will not be filmed unless we get money. Um, So (laughs) any any support in that area is greatly appreciated. Uh, You can find me on social media at StevieKJ. Uh, that's my Twitter and my Instagram. My website is steviejackson.ca. Chris, where can they find you? Well, you can find all of my writing and various nonsense at christopherroyce.com, Twitter and Instagram, Chris M. Royce. I'm still working on what's going to be my second novel. It's called Consent of the Governed. It is due in January. And by due, I mean, oh my gosh, it's a looming deadline. Uh, it's something I'm having a lot of fun working on, but I am behind. And so... I don't know why I'm putting this in plugs, but I was thinking about maybe serializing it. So perhaps in January, you won't get all of it, but just the first couple of chapters. I don't know. We'll see. Ooh, perhaps. Keep him accountable. <laughs> Remind him, <laughs> listeners, that he promised you at least part of a novel. <laughs> uh, it's, uh, yeah, it's a lot of fun, and I, I hope to be talking more about it as soon as I figure out all the fun details of, like, what's canon and what's not. I think you do get to decide what is canon. Exactly. But if I put it in the podcast and then it ends up not being canon. Oh, yes. There's that. So. Yeah. Because I have to, I have yet to do like the Googling of the characters' names and the organization's names to make sure there aren't things that are accidentally references to whatever. I think we talked about this off the air. Right. Actually, um, we've talked the about air. the concept of it even on the air, I think. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I don't want to accidentally get myself in trouble by naming a person after another person who already exists. As long as the name is ver- is common enough yeah. or not at all common, yeah. you tend to be okay. I mean, it's, it's really the uncommon names that you definitely want to Google. And I think there are certain professions where it's a problem. So... Yeah. If you make somebody a doctor and then there happens to be a doctor by that name, that's a problem. Mm -hmm. But if there's just a person by that name, then that's okay. Unless it's something very unusual that you would expect people to confuse with the real person. Yeah, absolutely. But like culture has become so big and so striated that it's, you know, it might come up with something that I think is perfectly benign. But, oh, wait, there was a war criminal from 200 years ago with that name and so i need to do research <laughs> well i mean i would not recommend naming anybody joseph Mengele, but <laughs> oh shit. i think the war criminal names will jump out at you <laughs> i tend to think so what with being a <laughs> trained history person <laughs> I would from think. A, a major regional university <laughs> yeah <laughs> and uh, i think uh, i think with with that with my strange babblings and ramblings. I think we've managed to sew up another episode. 
I think we have. Uh, thank you for listening to our various nonsense today. <laughs> Bye. Bye. The Talent Crush Chat Show podcast is written, edited, and produced by Christopher Royce and Stevie Jackson. Show notes, social media links, and more can be found at talentcrushchatshow.tumblr.com. If you like what you hear, tell a friend. Leave a review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts to help more people discover the show. If you want us to give you some unreliable advice, send us an email at talentcrushchatshow at gmail.com. <laughs>